0: This past week, the uh, Toronto Blue Jays, uh, best pitcher of late, Marcus Stroman, maybe not just of late, uh, had a bit of an altercation with a player of the opposing team who didn't like the way that he was conducting himself following a strikeout or an out. And of course, some other people jumped on board and began criticizing him also for some of the ways that he does or says things. And so on Wednesday, he tweeted, stay true to self. Society struggles with personalities that don't conform to the norm, never let their criticism sway you from being you. If you have the courage to consult such lists as this one, once in a while, called Regrets of the Dying, obviously as you look at these types of lists, uh, one will vary from another, Uh, But many of these lists will include something similar to the top of this uh, regret list, which says, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. I was incredibly blessed several weeks ago when the youth did their report of their time in, uh, in Belize. And uh, all of the report blessed me uh, incredibly, but especially the skit about the wearing of the masks. Some of you were here and you are going to remember that. Um, Every time a new person came to the door, I think it was Janessa that was the main character in in that skit. Uh, Every time a new person came to the door she needed to quickly check who it was and then she needed to quickly run to the closet or to her room and put on a suitable mask that would impress or be suitable for the person that was coming for the visit. And every time it needed to be, the mask needed to be somewhat different. We have trouble being true to self. We seem to always try to wear a mask that will impress other people trying to be liked. That word, of course, leads us to think somewhat about social media. Now, I know that it is dangerous for an old man to try to speak about social media. uh, Because the danger is there that in trying to be um, up with the times, he just reveals how not up with the times he is. However, let me try just for a moment. I'm not critical of social media. Uh, I believe it really just reflects back to us what kind of people we actually already are. I have noticed that we have this tendency as humanity and uh, maybe especially, uh, you can debate this, maybe especially as Christian humanity we have this tendency to try and blame all the bad things that are happening in our world right now on social media. Uh, Just like the previous generation blamed everything bad on the computer and the internet, and the previous generation blamed everything bad on TV, and I'm assuming perhaps the previous generation before that blamed everything bad on the telephone. I'm not totally sure, but it seems as though we always like to find something new, some new invention, some new uh, way for us to do life. We would like to blame that for anything bad that's happening in our society or, or in our culture. And if that makes you feel good, to be able to blame something, then go ahead and do that. Um, I happen to think that really all of these things are in and of themselves, do not create us or make us into anything. All that they do is they reflect who we already are in our hearts. And so in keeping with that and in keeping with the illustrations that I already used here this morning... Uh, Let me just venture for a moment into the world of social media. Uh, I believe social media is an illustration. It reflects the fact that we as people tend to be obsessed with trying to win the favor of others. Generally speaking, uh, social media helps us to understand that. It's like a mirror. It helps us to see that this is how we are. And so we post something on Facebook, and then you wait, and you see how many likes you are going to get. How many people will see what you posted and click on the thumbs up, like box? And then what really makes you feel good is if you post something, especially if it would be a picture of yourself or your family, and people write comments, that's the next level up from just liking something, is if somebody takes the time to write a comment about your picture or about your post, and they would say something like gorgeous or stunningly beautiful or incredible shot, and on and on and on, and the more comments you get, the better you feel. And the more likes you get, the better you feel. And the more followers you have on Instagram, the better you feel. And the more people retweet what you've already tweeted, the more important you are. And it's all set up to somehow help us to feed our need to feel like we matter and like we're important and like people like us. Now, if I'm correct that social media actually simply helps to reveal to us what is already in our hearts, then I would suggest that Our world is made up of multitudes of individuals across all age ranges and all social statuses and all financial situations, and I think it's safe to say all cultures, the world is made up of people, most of whom have this huge need to be like. And I believe it's safe to say that because of this huge universal need that we have to be liked, we have a tendency to do stuff and say things and live lives, often that are not totally true to self, we put on masks for the purpose of getting the attention that we need in order to feel like we matter and are noticed and, of course, liked by others. I like telling stories. I like telling stories that people like to hear. I like it when people show me that they are impressed with my stories. Whether that's at home, or in social gatherings, or when I am speaking to people like right now. I feel good when I think that people like my stories, and so what am I tempted to do? I'm tempted to make sure that when I share a story, people will like my story. And sometimes that means, or at least it would be helpful if we would just mix in a few minor details that may or not be 100% accurate. I'm not really lying. Don't get me. I'm I'm not, well, maybe. But just not totally accurate. I mean, it could have easily been that way. Why do I do that? Because I want to have more likes on my Facebook page. It makes me feel good when people like me, when they follow me. And so, I have decided, because I have been, um, it has been revealed to me that I have a problem with this, that I want to be more faithful in sticking to the truth when telling a story. And so, if from here on in my stories are rather bland, <laughs> then you know what's been happening up until now. But I think it's fair to assume that in the same way that I am tempted to be slightly dishonest with my stories in order to be liked, people in countless different ways are tempted to be dishonest or not true to self in order to be Liked also. I know that that sounds rather bad, but let's start by at least being willing to kind of be honest about this. Obviously you post the most attractive of all your pictures. And let me say again, this is not a new phenomenon with Facebook. When it was the photo album, it was the same deal. You would put the nicest pictures into the photo album. And you would haul it out and you would show the nicest pictures to the people that you wanted to impress. And when I tell stories about myself, I don't typically tell stories that will make people think less of me. I don't tell the story of how I messed up when everyone was counting on me. I tell the story of when I succeeded, when I did score the big goal. Not the time when I whiffed on my shot. When I got that high mark, when my children got that job promotion, when the crops did turn out great, and when our church is growing... It's very hard to consistently give people the actual, honest, objective, full, honest story. It's very hard to give them a true picture of who you are and how life works at your house. Some of you have perhaps heard me say this before. It's quite a few years ago, during the month of October, Clergy Appreciation Month. Someone was up front here, behind this pulpit, reading several very nice things about our family. And one of my children, who typically is fairly honest, not yet in her teens at the moment, leaned over to me and said, I guess they don't see us at home, do they? (laughs) Why is it so hard to let everyone know that we are real? That we make mistakes. That we sometimes yell at each other in our house. That we sometimes lie on the couch all day and lack the motivation to get up and do something profitable. Why do I find it so hard to admit my weaknesses and my struggles? Deep down, I think we all know that behind the facade, everyone you meet is real. But it is so hard to believe that. In <clears throat> but it is so hard to believe that we are that we will be willing to simply and totally be honest and objectively truthful with people. It's hard to believe that enough so that you will be true to self. We find it hard to believe that people will still like me if they knew everything about me. And sometimes I wonder if we also find it hard to believe that God would still like me if he knew everything about me. Last week, Jesse spoke about Jesus challenging us to be like little children. I wonder if part of what Jesus was challenging his listeners with was a child's ability to be real and true to themselves. When they don't like something, they don't check the like box. And typically they are not that concerned about how many people have checked their like box either. They have not yet learned that they don't ever measure up. That everyone else has it more together (coughs) than they do. And that they will need to do a masterful job of hiding their imperfections and accentuating their strengths in order to impress people and convince them that they should like them. If I understand part of what Jesus is implying then a quality that he desires to institute in his kingdom, of which we are a part, is that it will be a place where everyone can be real and they will still feel like they matter and they are safe. And although I want to take this in a slightly different direction this morning, let me just quickly add here, I am passionate about this church being a place where everyone can be real and still feel like they matter and are safe. I believe it's fair to say that the Christian church has far too often been accused of being a place where people have to put on a front, where you need to wear a happy mask all the time. After all, if you are a real Christian, then you need to have it together and be happy all the time. I believe Jesus would agree with Marcus Stroman. I wish for my people to understand that I want them to be real and that they are loved that way. That does not mean that we must all work hard to be a church. That does mean that we must all work hard to be a church that will be filled with love and grace and acceptance. And when we get that, We will be a church that will be speaking into a deep inner need that we have as humans. The need to feel valued and loved and accepted. Even though we don't have it all together all the time. And let me add, I do see that happening. In many different ways in our church family. And I want to affirm that and bless it. And commit to more and more and more of that. Love and grace and acceptance. I believe that it has to be... When you see a a, a universal need like that, uh, I believe that the answer to that universal need has to somehow be wrapped up in God. I believe in large part the answer is the church. What God has called the church to be. But beyond that, he has a, a, a unique answer, I think, in Psalm chapter 139. And I hope that some of you took the time to read that in preparation for this morning. Psalm 139. We want to go there for the next few minutes. Uh, again, the verse that was put into the bulletin, um, the verses, two verses that were put into the bulletin, are the last two verses of Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Um, sometimes, and I think this is such a case, Psalm 139, um, the last verses in a thought process actually introduce what the person wanted to be talking about or was thinking about and wanted to say from the very beginning. And so the conclusion, when somebody concludes, makes a conclusion often it indicates what spurred him to start this thinking process in the first place. And so I believe Psalm 139 is like that. And so that's why I want to start with Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, the last two verses of Psalm 139, because I think they indicate what is spinning around in David's head as he begins this Psalm 139 dialogue. So Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So what's David's dilemma here? I, I think what David is saying is, I want to really be known. I want to find relief from my anxious thoughts. I want to get rid of the garbage in my life and focus on the things that really matter. I want to be known, we're going to focus on that word a little bit, by someone whom I can trust, where I will still be safe even if all of me will be unveiled, all of the garbage, all of the whole truth about me without any false facade or mask, just me and all of me. I want somebody to know me like that. And then he uses an interesting word here. <coughs> Excuse me. Even to the point of, of testing me. Now, uh, that, that word testing is, is really a word about trying to fully know everything about someone. When you have to write a test at school, the teachers want to know how much you know. When you need to do your driver's test, it's about revealing to somebody else more about yourself. They want to test you in that area to see how much, who are you really. And so when David invites God to test him, what David is inviting God to do is to Check me out through and through, top to bottom, side to side, everything. I want you, God, to know everything about me. I'm opening myself up so that you can know all of me. And David is is expressing his desire for somebody to know everything about him, yet would still not reject him. Is there somebody out there who could know everything about me, every detail, and still would not reject me? Where can I find that? That's David's question. And that's what drives him to begin writing at the beginning of Psalm 139, verses 1 to 4, well, through the whole chapter, but let's begin by reading verses 1 to 4. Where can I find somebody who's going to know everything about me but will still love me and care for me and accept me? Psalm 139, verses 1 to 4. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, Lord. We need to understand, though, that David is not actually giving us a little dialogue here about how incredibly smart God is. It's not at all what he's after, trying to explain theologically how smart, how much God knows. David is saying... God knows you. He takes note of you. He understands you. And here's an interesting little quality that doesn't come up in the English language necessarily, but in the original language, particularly the excellent attributes that are within you. Now let me add something here. I I, I don't fully understand this, but I want to throw this out to you and, and, and invite you to... Process it together with me. Uh, it, I, I like it. It it kind of speaks to the social media thing that the need that we've revealed about ourselves through social media. According to this original word, knows you, he God not only takes note of these qualities about you. Now, this is the part that's that's maybe a little confusing, he Acknowledges those qualities and he expresses them. He comments on them. He comments on who you are. And of, uh, of the excellent qualities within you. See, this is one of my problems. I, I often take note of good qualities about people. My wife, my children, but I struggle with telling them. Uh, I'm thinking it, but I need to express it. I need to say it. We need to hear it. This word here means that he takes note of it, he acknowledges it, and he expresses it. He comments on your post. He retweets it. He wants you to read the comments that he is making about you. I think we find it very hard to hear him often because of preconceived ideas that we have about ourselves and that uh, we probably don't amount to much and we're not as good as anybody else and I can't do, I can't do this, can't do that. And, uh, and so we find it hard to hear him when he or believe the comments that he is expressing about us but God is commenting about you. That's what this word here, knows you, is referring to. And he's commenting to you, but he's also commenting to whoever is close to him, whoever is listening to him. And I'd like to say that's the angels, Uh, both the good and the bad angels. I believe God is expressing about you, commenting about you. And if you look at Job chapter 1, you see how God is actually bragging about Job 2 the devil. Do you see that? Do you see that? Isn't that cool? Did you see the way that husband is gently caring for his ailing wife? Did you see how that woman walked away from that argument? Do you see how they love each other in that church? Do you see the fact that God knows you and God sees your qualities and He likes them and He comments on it? on them God is expressing the excellent qualities that he sees in you because he knows you I think you saw it as we were reading it and maybe it makes us feel slightly uncomfortable he knows your thoughts he knows when you sit down and when you get up before a word is even on your lips he already knows what you are going to say, or what you are thinking about saying, and you're reading that and you're, ooh, that is a little scary. My thoughts, my words, the things I'm thinking about saying, God knows all of that? Oh, oh No. Actually, that's not the intent of these verses at all, to make you somehow feel guilty about those things that you wish God didn't know. Remember what the last few verses of the chapter revealed about David's dilemma. David wants somebody to know everything about him. The good and the bad and the ugly and everything in between. And even then, even knowing all of that, that he would be able to be rest assured that he is still loved and cared for and accepted. That is what this chapter is speaking about. He wanted some place, he wanted to be able to be in the presence of someone where he could be completely at ease. Where he would not need to hide anything for the purpose of saving his reputation. Where he would not need to try and only post the good pictures and only say the, not say the bad words. Where that someone would already know all of that about him but he would still know that he was loved and cherished and cared for And accepted regardless. And that is what he's saying here. God knows every little detail about me already. No use trying to put on a mask. Look at the next two verses. As we move toward conclusion for this morning. Verses 5 and 6. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Really, God? Really? After knowing all of that about me, after knowing every little detail and every... Really? God, you still put your... This, um, he laid his hand upon me, is a gesture of acceptance. After knowing all of that, you're still... Putting your hand on me. He has chosen you. He has accepted you exactly the way you are. It's unbelievable. Really, after knowing everything about me. What I do and don't do. How I spend my time. What I'm thinking. What I say. What I would like to say. You know it all. And you have still accepted me. And you, and you think... It can't be. It can't be. I will change. I will make myself acceptable. I will work harder if I have to. I will do more for you. And God says, Stop. Stop. I have already accepted you. You keep reading here, and it speaks of the fact that there is no way you can ever run away and hide from God. It talks about how He created you, knit you together. Incredible imagery. I want to say this morning, my friends, don't allow Satan to rob you of the peace and the contentment and the joy that comes from understanding that you are liked by God Himself. In Him, you are complete. You have all you need, you are all you need to be in order to be accepted by Him. Don't let Satan or social media or your fallen human nature convince you that if only you looked more like that other person, if only you could do what that person can do, and you could decorate your house the way so and so can, and you could bake the way so and so can, or you could get the kind of marks that so and so gets, if only you would be as successful in business as somebody else, if only you could tell jokes and tell stories like Darren does, and be the life of the party like someone else, if only I could lose 20 pounds, or if only this, or if only that, then I would feel good about myself and who I am, then I would also be somebody. Then people would notice me and appreciate me, and they would like me, and I would be able to feel good about myself. We work ourselves ragged, somehow trying to become noticed and liked. Sometimes we starve ourselves to death trying to become pretty enough so we will be Someone. Or we criticize others, thinking that somehow that's going to elevate me to a position of being someone. Or I drown myself in self-pity because I can't ever measure up. Or I numb the pain with drugs or alcohol or something else that will make it all go away. And this morning I want to say, the God of the universe already knows every detail about you. And he loves you, and he cares for you, and he accepts you, he likes you, he retweets what you say, he comments on your posts, and he follows you. And all the other people that are sitting around you today, all the other people whom you're going to meet later this week, each and every one a cherished person in the eyes of the God of the universe. Amen.